A missile attack against the U.S. base in Iraq. What's next? Mask mandate fail in Texas. Voter rights and Governor Cuomo says he's sorry. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. The White House warned that the United States may consider a military response to the rocket attack on Wednesday that hit an air base in western Iraq where American and coalition troops are housed, raising concerns this could trigger a new round of escalating violence. A U.S. contractor died after at least 10 rockets slammed into the base, and while no group claimed responsibility, it was the first strike since the U.S. bombed Iran-aligned militia targets along the Iraq-Syria border last week. A Pentagon spokesperson had this to say this morning. Approximately 10 rockets were fired from points of origin east of the base. There are no reports of U.S. service member injuries, and all U.S. service members are, and U.S. personnel are accounted for. A U.S. civilian contractor suffered a cardiac episode while sheltering and sadly passed away shortly after. Uh, we cannot attribute responsibility for the rocket attacks at this time, and we do not have a complete picture of the extent of the damage on base. And we stand by as needed to assist our Iraqi partners as they investigate. Al-Assad's counter-rocket artillery mortar missile defensive system engaged in the defense of our people and our forces and our partners. Secretary Austin was kept abreast all morning and he continues to monitor the situation. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby asked about the attack. President Biden told reporters we're identifying who's responsible and will make judgments about a response. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki suggested that response would be a calculated U.S. airstrike similar to a response to an attack on American forces in northern Iraq earlier in February. We are still assessing the impact of this latest uh, rocket attack, including determining precise attribution. Of course, they just happened over the course of last night. As you noted also, we responded to recent Iranian-backed attacks on coalition and U.S. forces in a manner that was calculated, proportionate, and fully covered by legal authorities. That will be our model moving forward. If we assess a further response is warranted, we will take action again in a manner and time of our choosing, and we reserve that option. The president was briefed by his national security team this morning was, of course, monitoring the details overnight. What we won't do is make a hasty or ill-informed decision that further escalates the decision or plays into the hands of our adversaries. And that's Jen Psaki. She's the White House press secretary. The latest attack comes two days before Pope Francis is scheduled to visit Iraq. The much-anticipated trip will include stops in Baghdad, southern Iraq, and the northern city of Erbil. The rocket struck Ain al-Assad Air Base in Anbar province early in the morning. The Iraqi military released a statement saying that Wednesday's attack didn't cause significant losses and that security forces had found the launch pad used for the rockets, a burning truck. U.S. troops in Iraq significantly decreased their presence in the country last year and withdrew from several Iraqi bases to consolidate chiefly at Ain al-Assad, Baghdad, and Erbil. Anti-war activists in the United States, although relieved the new president isn't bent on escalating the confrontation with Iraq in the same way his predecessor would, they say the U.S. should obey international law and leave the region. Peace activist Kathy Kelly is one of the founding members of Voices in the Wilderness. There's a betrayal of what the U.S. voting public had been opting for. There's a plurality of public opinion that is against escalating forever wars. And I think that President Biden's attack that killed 16 Iraqis was an, an escalation. People are looking for 
diplomacy to be used instead of a constant bullying threat and force and the idea that in this time which is now 30 years since the united states first launched aerial attacks and ground war against iran never ever has the bloodletting and the cruelty and the humiliation let up the idea that we have to presume that all weapons must be traced to iran is ridiculous the united states has saturated Iraq with weapons and um, instead of pursuing a route of negotiation and restoration of the joint comprehensive plan of action the Biden administration seems to want to say no no no. first we have to emphasize that before there are any carrots we use sticks well where have our sticks gotten us in regard to Iraq the Trump administration was escalating things by these high-level attacks on people like Soleimani. They're going to keep the U.S. now under Biden is going to keep the attacks restrained. Proportional and restraint means that people are being killed and maimed and wounded, that more ordinance is being strewn over an already uh, polluted land that's uh, been hit so badly so many times now with U.S. and other people's weapons. I don't think we have any business with that kind of proportion of uh, meeting out more punishment. I think that we have to start looking at international law and ask whether or not the United States has any right whatsoever to be maintaining those bases. The Iraqis have asked the United States, please leave. So by what right are we maintaining bases? Why should we continue to try to control any resources or geographical value that might be linked to those bases that we're maintaining? Trump administration, Biden administration, same policy, just different ways of going about it. The more right-wing representatives of the Democratic Party have been put into some very powerful positions by the Biden administration. I think that's very, very unfortunate. It'll take a lot of pressure from anti-war groups, human rights groups, groups that want to see divestment and disarmament to insist that the Biden administration not tilt into being, as you say, an imitation of what has been failed again and again in a bipartisan way from administration after administration in war after war. We have to say we don't want to be a permanent warfare state. Peace activist Kathy Kelly. And back in the United States, Texas is lifting its mask mandate, making it the largest state to no longer require one of the most effective ways to slow the spread of the coronavirus. President Biden had some strong words for the governor of Texas. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. As of yesterday, we had lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We'll not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it. Getting a shot in someone's arm and getting a second shot, you're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 critical that they follow the science. Wash your hands, hot water, do it frequently, wear a mask and stay socially distanced. And uh, I know you all know that. I wish the heck some of our elected officials knew us. And that was President Biden. He uh, was critical of Texas's um, bucking of advice on masks and social distancing. Federal health officials this week urgently warned states to not let their guard down, warning the pandemic is far from over.
The announcement in Texas, where the virus has killed more than 43,000 people, has rattled doctors and big city leaders who said they're now bracing for another deadly resurgence. One hospital executive in Houston said he told his staff they would need more personnel and more ventilators. Abbott, a Republican, has faced sustained criticism from his part in America's biggest red state over the statewide mask mandate, which was imposed eight months ago. The Texas repeals announced by Abbott take take effect on March 10th. The full impact of Texas's reversal will be coming is still coming into focus. Target said it would continue requiring customers to wear masks in Texas. Mark Cuban, owner of the NBA Dallas's Mav- uh, the NBA's Dallas Mavericks, says he has no immediate plans to change the limits on fans at the American Airlines Center. Meanwhile, school administrators scramble to figure out the ramifications. Although local officials have some leeway, Abbott says those powers will be limited. And Wednesday, Capitol Police announced it's uh, announced they're not beefing up security around the U.S. Capitol. They are beefing up security around the U.S. Capitol in light of a possible plot to breach the Capitol by an unidentified militia group on Thursday, March 4th. That's tomorrow, a date that coincides with a far right conspiracy theory claiming that former President Donald Trump will be put back into office on that day. That's tomorrow. Meanwhile, the Senate was hearing from Washington, D.C. National Guard on what went wrong on January 6th. District of Columbia National Guard Commander Major General William Walker appeared with national security officials before two Senate committees at a hearing on the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Walker told lawmakers about the unusual requirements the Pentagon had put in place prior to January 6th on the National Guard's ability to deploy a quick reaction force to support Capitol cops. He also described receiving a frantic phone call from then Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund. At 1.30 p.m. on January 6th, we watched as the Metropolitan Police Department began to employ officers to support the Capitol Police. In doing so, the officers began to withdraw from the traffic control points that were jointly manned with District of Columbia Guardsmen. At 1.49 p.m., I received a frantic call from then Chief of United States Capitol Police, Stephen Sun, where he informed me that the security perimeter of the United States Capitol had been breached by hostile rioters. Chief Sun, his voice cracking with emotion, indicated that there was a dire emergency at the Capitol, and he requested the immediate assistance of as many available National Guardsmen that I could muster. Immediately after that 149 call, I alerted the U.S. Army senior leadership of the request. The approval for Chief Sun's request would eventually come from the acting Secretary of Defense and be relayed to me by Army senior leaders at 5.08 p.m., about three hours and 19 minutes later. I had already had guardsmen on buses at the armory ready to move to the Capitol. Capitol Police Chief Major General William Walker speaking today. Tonight, the House of Representatives is going to take up two key bills, both with sweeping and significant potential impacts. H.R. 1, the For the People Act, is aimed at protecting voter rights, and H.R. 1280, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, would ban neck restraints and no-knock warrants. Both bills are expected to pass a democratically controlled House and have the ringing endorsement of the Biden administration, but face an uphill battle in the 50-50 Senate as calls continue to eliminate the Senate filibuster. Meanwhile, the GOP has been supporting bills across the country to limit voting in key swing states. A 
lawyer for the state of Arizona yesterday told the U.S. Supreme Court politics is a zero-sum game to justify measures that make it harder for people living in the cities, most in the cities, mostly Democrats, to vote. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. A hundred bills are being put together, provisions are putting forth to suppress the vote. To suppress the vote, how could it be? How do we pledge allegiance to the flag in this capital, this temple of democracy, while at the same time supporting voter suppression across the country? So what we are doing in this fight that we're engaged in is to empower the people. This is called the For the People Bill. And in doing so, we combat big, dark, special interest money in politics and amplify the voice of the American people. We fight foreign interference in our elections. We fight political gerrymandering and we crack down on corruption. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. And closer to home, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on Wednesday says he intends to remain in office in the face of sexual harassment allegations that have weakened his support and led to calls for his his resignation. Cuomo's apology came after a statement by Senate Majority Leader and New York Democrat Chuck Schumer saying the allegations against the governor are serious. These women have to be listened to. I've always believed that sexual harassment is not acceptable, must not be tolerated. Now there's a investigation in the hands of a very, very capable person, the Attorney General of New York State. I supported it and called for it, and now she's doing it. I know the Attorney General will conduct a thorough investigation that will be totally, totally independent without any interference, outside interference, political or otherwise. You're next. I have faith in uh, the Attorney General's investigation. I'll leave that to her. Senator Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, the Democratic governor, speaking somberly in his first public appearance since three women accused him of inappropriate touching and offensive remarks, uh, did apologize and said he had learned an important lesson about his behavior around women. I'm sorry for whatever pain I caused anyone. I never intended it. And I will be the better for this experience. Cuomo adds he never intended to upset anyone, chalking up the inappropriate touching of female employees as part of his political style. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never knew at the time that I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. I never knew at the time I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. And I certainly never ever meant to offend anyone or hurt anyone or cause anyone any pain. That is the last thing I would ever want to do. WBAI's Fran Luck hosts the program Joy of Resistance, heard Mondays at 9 p.m. It's not about an apology, but an imbalance of power between men and women. 
Paul, I watched the governor. I watched how he contextualized it, and I listened to his so-called apology. It seemed to me generally to be in the, if I hurt you or caused you pain, I am sorry. But it did not deal with what actually the women who accused him are saying. He gave an unsolicited kiss, for instance, to Lindsay Boylan when they were alone in his office. Charlotte Bennett, who was an aide, also said he asked her questions about her sex life, asked her if she had ever slept with an older man. Um, the fact that he didn't understand that these questions would make a subordinate woman working for him feel very uncomfortable is almost inconceivable, especially since we have lived through the Me Too movement, where women detailed ad infinitum in every form of social media just what happens when this kind of thing happens at work he should know that women in the workplace especially women subordinate to men which is most often the case are in a position where they feel they have to play along to get along because they understand that when men do inappropriate things touching or verbally which is also part of sexual harassment statutes, uh, that if they say anything, they will suffer consequences. Most often, women are forced to leave jobs because they speak up about it. And women know this. And women are often touched inappropriately in many kinds of contexts by men. There is a male entitlement to women's bodies very much still in play in this society. So my question is, why doesn't Governor Cuomo, who's been an attorney general, who lived through the Me Too period, understand that a woman in a work context is in a different situation than a man in that work context? It just uh, defies belief. I am not impressed with his apology, and I feel that a great deal more education is necessary as to, to the inequities of power. Should he resign? That's uh, that's not a question I have an opinion on. There's a lot at play here. Paul, I actually don't think that's the question right now. The question is, why is sexual harassment still so rampant? What is the gap in our education? What is the gap in how this is taught about? And to me, that's, that's what I am really, really concerned about. The governor was basically making the cultural argument that just how he and his dad did it. Once again, he was doing that without the context of the of gender. He was, he was acting like men and women are in exactly the same position. Uh, first of all, what he said doesn't match with what the women are alleging, which was definitely sexualized behavior that men do toward women. That's number one. And number two, there is just, they're just uh, different women live in a different context than men do in terms of being touched and somebody in a position of power such as governor cuomo must be sensitive to that and he has not been you just have to see it from a woman's point of view okay that women live on the defensive against this kind of constant touching that we experienced politicians people in a position of power have got to know that Very and good. i am i the, the government does not get Good marks on that. WBAI host Fran Luck. Her show is called Joy of Resistance, and you can hear it every Monday at 9 p.m. 
And finally, police uncover a possible plot by militia to breach the Capitol. That is the breaking news story just posted moments ago. Capitol Police say they have uncovered intelligence of a possible plot by a militia group to breach the United States Capitol on Thursday, nearly two months after a mob of supporters of then-President Donald Trump stormed the iconic building to try to stop Congress from certifying now-President Joe Biden's victory. The threat appears to be connected to a far-right conspiracy theory mainly promoted by supporters of QAnon, that Trump will rise again to power on March 4th. That was the original presidential inauguration day until 1933, when it was moved to January 20th. Online chatter identified by authorities includes discussions among members of the Three Percenters, an anti-government militia group, concerning possible plots against the Capitol on Thursday. According to two law enforcement officials not authorized to speak, And speaking on condition of anonymity, uh, members of the three percenters were among the extremists who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. The announcement comes as the Capitol Police and other law enforcement agencies are taking heat from Congress, as we reported earlier in this newscast, about their handling of the January 6th riot. The U.S. House was abruptly wrapping up its work for the week Wednesday night, given the threat of violence and advisory sent earlier this week to members of Congress by the acting House Sergeant at Arms said the Capitol Police had no indication that groups will travel to D.C. to protest or commit acts of violence. But that advisory was updated in a note to lawmakers Wednesday morning. Blodgett, who is the, the acting Sergeant at Arms, said that the Capitol Police had received new and concerning information and intelligence in indicating additional interest in the Capitol for the dates of March 4th through 6th by a militia group. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.